Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the JMO Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Michaels. Our guest this episode, we've got Brad Hawthorne, Hawthorne's guide service over on uh, Malax in Minnesota. We're talking early ice. It's, uh, you know, it's not early ice yet, but it's that time of year where the conversations are started. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to start it off, uh, you know, or at least start off my season of ice fishing conversations somewhere. Uh, you know, somewhere that's uh, popular, somewhere that's buzzing, and somewhere that's maybe got a new conversation. And uh, that's what Brad brings to the table uh, in this conversation. I always learn a lot from Brad. I, I, you know, any conversation with the, you know, with somebody over on Malax, I just really enjoy. Even though I probably don't get to fish Malax as, as much as many of you do, I'm really entertained by that body of water, and I definitely. I learn a ton when I just hear about it. I hear about the fishing over there, and I think about, uh, you know, the conditions, the clear water conditions. I hear about, you know, the year classes of fish that cycle through there and, and quality fish. I mean, Malax, it's no secret. Malax kicks out quality fish, whatever it's got. There's big smallmouth, big musky, big walleyes. And in this conversation, we're going to find out that, uh, you know, from Brad, that there's a lot of really nice perch in there, and many of you probably remember... Uh, a time or a few times uh, where the big perch have cycled through Malax. Malax definitely has the ability to pump out quality jumbo perch in the winter time, and uh, that's what we're going to talk about. Is uh, there's some impressive year classes coming up of perch on Malax, and Brad has definitely uh, definitely got his finger on the pulse over there. So we're going to have that conversation. Early ice. Uh, we're talking a little bit of walleyes at the end, a bunch of perch in the middle, and a whole bunch of just great Malax early ice information from a guy that's been doing it now for a couple of decades, Brad Hawthorne, Hawthorne's Guide Service. You can find him at MalaxLakeGuide.com. Let's get into this interview, Early Ice Malax with Brad Hawthorne. This episode of the JMO Podcast is brought to you by the CS1 Suit from Cold Snap. This jacket and bib combination is good for all seasons. The jacket featuring the full event lamination, 100% waterproof shell with waterproof YKK zippers, fleece-lined hand-warm pockets on the chest, magnetic closures on the pockets, hideaway D-rings for accessories, especially like your Cold Snap toothpick. Zip out the inner liner featuring Primaloft 900 gold insulation, HydroFloat technology. Wear this Cold Snap logoed performance liner as a separate jacket on the ice, or you can just wear it around town as nice as it is. The bibs matching the jacket system. We're talking the lamination, the waterproof, the zippers, fleece lined, warming pockets on the chest, magnetic closures on all the high use pockets, and the hideaway D rings for all your accessories. Again, Zip out the inner liner pants featuring the Primaloft 900 gold insulation, HydroFlow technology, removable knee pads. You can take them out, replace them whenever they're worn, or just take them out when you're wearing it in the summer. Because in the summer, in the boat, you can wear this shell as your highest performance rain gear. Wear the entire system in the ice season or as layers and mix and match the components to fit whatever the weather conditions are. The gloves, cold snap performance gear hoodies, event soft shell jackets, and vests. All of that and more details can be found at coldsnapoutdoors.com. That link is in the description of this podcast or through other pro staff partners. This is the season for hunting and fishing opportunities in the state of North Dakota. If you hunt big game here, remember to do your part in protecting the herd. And that means knowing and following the regulations regarding chronic wasting disease here in the state of North Dakota, specifically 
the carcass disposal requirements. Any game carcass waste that is transported outside the hunting unit where the animal is harvested must be disposed of via a landfill or waste management provider. If you're hunting big game in North Dakota, it is your personal responsibility to educate yourself on these regulations and this information. Luckily for you, it's very simple. Just head down to the description of this podcast and click on the link that is gf.nd.gov cwd. That's where you're going to get the information on the regulations and all information regarding chronic wasting disease in the state of North Dakota. This podcast is brought to you by Northland Fishing Tackle. Northland is a brand you can trust. Since the beginning, they've been creating innovative lure designs made of high-quality components. Most importantly, when you buy fishing tackle that says Northland on the package, you can rest assured it is designed for one thing and one thing only, and that is catching fish. To check out more of what they got, head to their website, northlandtackle.com. That link is in the description of this podcast. All right, Brad, you know what? Um, Early ice. I don't even know if you and I have done an early ice podcast together uh, in the past. I know we've done ice fishing. I know we've done open water. And I know it's been a little while since we've done one. So I'm like excited on all fronts. But, um, you know, uh, obviously I'm calling you. I want to talk Malax. It's kind of that time of year where these conversations around early ice are the deal. So uh, that's what I want to get into. Uh, like I said, I don't I don't know if I've done an early ice Malax one in, in a while. So I want to kind of I don't want to leave too many stones unturned here. I want to hit a lot of different points. I want to cover a lot of ground with you. I want to talk about, you know, uh, Malax, the you know the the lake, the the structure, the fish patterns, the presentations, the whole gamut of early ice topics that we can talk about with you on Malax, man. So, um, where do we got to start with this, man? Oh, Taylor, I'm so glad when you called the other week. You're like, hey, let's jump on a podcast. I was like, yes. Like I always, this is my favorite podcast when I'm traveling. I just. I, I pipe it in and I just love listening to it, man. It, it eats up my drive pretty quick. I love it. Um, but for Malax, the big kind of thing that's coming down the pipe for us right now is our perch populations. Um, last year I was trying to keep it under wraps. Um, and you know, guys just fishing it, we're finding out that we have a very, very sizable uh, perch population in the lake right now. That's from nine to about 13 inches, which is absolutely tremendous. Um, and we're looking at right from the jump, getting on those populations as soon as we can get out and start walking on Mille Lacs, uh, early because perch, perch for Mille Lacs are an early season thing and a late season thing. So hopefully, hopefully we'll dive right into those right out right from the jump. Yeah, dude. Uh, Okay. I'm so glad you bring this up. And, you know, uh, like for me, I don't have a ton of history on Mille Lacs. Like I didn't grow up knowing the ins and outs of Mille Lacs, but I've heard, you know, I've heard that Mille Lacs has rich history in perch fishing. There's been some times in, you know, the last handful of decades where perch uh on malax were formidable like against anybody out there like tell me a little bit about that man like like the history of perch on malax because you know for some of us that have only been really around or that have maybe only been getting serious about our ice fishing um you know in the last say 10 years or less like there's a lot of us out there uh that, that probably don't really know a ton about the great perch fishing 
on Mille Lacs, you know, in the past? So it's hard to put it in a nutshell, but I'll start here. So everything is, you know, like invasive species kind of swept through the the Midwest here. Um, And as those populations or as those invasives got into different lakes, what it did was some populations went and regressed and others flourished. And, and through the course of these invasive, like Mille Lacs got spiny water fleas and zebra mussels right around the same time period um, introduced into the lake. So what happened is, is if you think of, of invasives as just energy, right? If you go, how much energy does spiny water fleas take up or how much are they consuming and how much energy is uh, zebra mussels consuming and what's the effect? And what we saw in Mille Lacs is when invasives come in, they peak in population because there's nothing there to stop them. And then after they find their peak, they die off to a sustainable level. That's how you figure out the carrying capacity for invasives in a lake. And this is a scary process. It's a very scary process. And I really feel for, you know, fisheries managers, DNR, things like that, to try to really get a grasp on limits and how to proceed forward. And, you know, in these introduction phases throughout lakes. So what happened was, is we got invasives. And we saw our, our walleye population decline. We saw a decline in everything pretty much but smallmouth bass. And the reason for that was the spinies came in there, or excuse me, zebra mussels came in, and they cleared the water. And that made the walleyes that were in there about 20 to 30% better of, of predators. They were able to just knock back these perch. And then what you saw was the perch population, the tulipy population, some of that Uh, suffered a little bit because of the spiny water flea then now fast forward to where we have the populations are all sustainable with the invasives and they're just they're really not a non-issue now so what happened is about five six years ago we had bumper crops of these these perch blooms and i had seen it from before because when i started guiding on the lacks that's all we guide for in february and march was perch um and so what happened is, is the lake was pretty much consuming itself, figuring out the balance going forward, with the invasives. Then we started having these big giant perch blooms. And last year we had a ton of fish from 10 to 12 inches, which you know is a wonderful size perch. Oh yeah. And, yeah. I don't know. Like walleyes just tend to get, you know, all the publicity on Mille Lacs the hand, last handful of years, rightfully so a uh, nice fish. It's a great fishery, but you know, perch, like some of us just kind of miss the fact that Mille Lacs can pump out great perch. Exactly. And that's kind of where I'm last year. Remember I said, I was trying to keep a muzzle on it. Like I didn't want, I didn't want all of a sudden to create this mass, a bunch of anglers on Mille Lacs, just not knowing exactly how many were in there. And throughout the year, it was like, well, wow, there's, there's jumbos here. There's jumbos here. There's seemingly jumbos. If you put the work in, you can find them. And it was throughout this last 10 year period, the lake, well, 15 year, it, the lake got clear, which allowed everything to feast on everything. And now we were running guide trips on it last year. And I, I had to tell people like, Hey, pull back the reins a little bit here, guys. Like, like settle down and let's conserve this fishery. I was also in contact with the DNR saying, Hey man, we may need to put a muzzle on this thing as far as limits go, because now we have them back and we don't want to lose it again. And 
basically what we're seeing is the population is this is that high. We've got our bait fish populations, which includes perch, are rebounding and they're doing exactly what they should. And now we have three or four year classes in front of and behind this one we're currently fishing, which puts Malax back on the map for a perch destination. Now you, it's been so long that people forgot that that's why at pretty much after January back in the day, that's the only reason you came to Malax was to bonk on, on big jumbos. You know, to talk about the fishing, what are you seeing out there, man? Like, what are you anticipating for early ice this year as far as the perch goes? Like, what are you seeing? What parts of the lake do you think are going to fire up? Like, what's the what's the fishing portion of this conversation got to be like? So, spooky. How's that? Really spooky because if, if, if my crystal ball is seeing everything pretty clear, the perch fishing, the way we attacked the perch back in the day till now has not changed. I literally jumped on all my own programs from back in the day and we started bonking on perch. <laughs> so it was A lot like, of people are going to like to hear that. That's what I mean. And that's where it's like, you know, I, I, that's why I love these pockets. I love the pockets because you can be this honest and don't have to worry about someone taking it out of, out of context because they can hear the tone in your voice and they can hear all these things that are important when you, when you say, Hey, you know, what worked 10 years ago is what's working now. And that's actually what scares me because now more than ever, the anglers today are so proficient. Taylor. I mean, you got it. I mean, just in the last five years where the advent of bringing um, forward facing sonar in and, and guys really putting all these metrics together that make them really, really good anglers. And they might only have been ice fishing for two years and, and they're out there just not, they're, they're being very successful. So what that's the spooky part is telling a guy that, Hey, remember those perch you were catching seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years ago, you can go do basically the exact same thing out there this year and go and go knock them pretty good. So that's, that's the part that is is really really cool. The other part is last year when we were on all these, the number of perch that were below that keeper range, that eight, seven, and you know six inch perch, was huge. And those perch that were all those throwbacks last year, are all keepers this year. On top of us not getting the word out and purposely trying to keep it in house, and so. As long as we don't have a bait bloom, which we shouldn't in the fall, there's not much that ha- hatches in the fall. I'm guessing we're going to have a pretty gangbusters uh, thing happen here for the first couple months on Malax. Talk to me about the map of the lake. You know the overview of Malax and where you feel like you know uh, uh, what you feel like the perch opportunities are going to be like throughout the lake. Better in some areas, maybe not as many in other areas, and why you think that might be. So. So that's where, when I was saying, hey, the spooky part is that the, the perch fishing back in the day was super simple on Mille Lacs. I mean, you can, if you know how to fish perch on Mille Lacs, you can take that to any lake, any any big body basin area lake, and it transposes. Um, so if Mille Lacs, if you break it down into three parts, so if you take Mille Lacs and you draw a line across from Big Point to Indian Point and then split that lake into three portions. If you take the northeast portion of Mille Lacs, I call that the sand area. And it's, I mean, this is generalizing, 
but it's basically a, just a big sandbox up there with some structure. And that is so important for perch populations because around that whole uh, shoreline area is miles and miles and miles of cabbage weed. And we all know that weeds mean great spawning for perch. So you, you have this huge field of weeds where these fish are spawning and they relate to those because there's food and everything else. So there's perch to be had up there on that sand break. And then you go to the south end of the lake, which would be that line going across below that line from Indian Point to Big Point. And that's what I call the hard bottom section of the lake. That's your rock and gravel area. And what's unique about that area that holds perch is perch love bugs. I mean, you know that. I mean, it, it's if you got bugs and you don't have perch, I'm starting to ask questions. And, yeah. and uh, that whole section there in those, those rock reefs, there's bugs in the gravel, in the rocks, in the mud areas in between, on the transition areas, like they just roam through that whole thing like a herd of feral pigs eating. So then you get up to the mud flat area, which again is full of minnows and full of bugs. And that's why when we get these perch populations into Malax, they just explode because the the food source, that's they grow our perch grow just a little bit slower than Devil's Lake perch, to put it into perspective. That's how much bait is there. Um, which which is incredible. You look yeah. at Devil's Lake, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's the the anomaly. It's the end of the spectrum of like speed of growth for perch for sure. It, exactly, exactly. Like it's it's the pinnacle. And and now you've got Malax break broke out. So you've got the north. Northwest corner Malax mud flat area for all intent and again generalizing. North northwest corner is northwest half is going to be mud flats, and you got the northeast half is sand, and you got the south end which is rock, and all of those. When you talk to any biologist, his eyes starting to widen, and they're like, they take a glimpse at the map and just looking at it, go, holy cow, this is uh, this is one heck of a perch fishery. You know what I mean? So when you have those those two or three areas and equally to a biologist produce perch because they all have great spawning and great food. And the only thing we're relying on as far as, you know, a negative influence on these perch populations is the walleye and then us, which man, I'm predicting that this year, this year may put the people who have forgotten about Malax as a perch fishery it may, I hope it's not, but I'm thinking, remember when the Red Lake crappies boomed and everyone was all of a sudden a crappie expert and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and for Malax, what's going to happen is I think it's been so long since people, since it's been a viable perch fishery that people are going to go, they're going to think it's an anomaly. And truthfully told, it's just going back to where it was. It took a while, but now that the invasives have settled down and, and, Things are eating proportionately across the, the spectrum of bait fish and not just keying in on one thing and, and annihilating it is really gonna really gonna push Malax into at least what I'm seeing the next five or six years being dynamite. Yeah. And you know, you you mentioned something there. I kind of want to go into that direction of like the forage base, you know, like how to fish them or just how to break down the patterns and match the hatch or, you know, or just having that a better understanding of that. Cause like you said, like in the, not a ton hatches in the fall, but as long as you don't put a big forage under them, you know, and like just sort of digging into that, because if, you know, if you overload the system with food, that makes things tough to catch. Just like when you overload the system, Malax full of small perch makes some walleyes a little trickier. Same thing with the perch. Yep. If you really overload. So 
you know, but that can be as big as Mille Lacs is, you know, like you say, all the areas it's diverse enough. Like there's, there's when the, when the, when it's like this, when it's fishing like this, it can be tough in certain areas. Um, but then you maybe just got to keep looking for other areas where it's not so much. Tell me about that. As far as the bite, like what are some of the details about, you know, the things that you like to key in on as far as identifying the forage or how much forage is there? Um, you know, finding active fish, do you, do you stay on fish? Is it a morning and night deal or do you jump across the lake and find where they're not overfed and will eat? Like, tell me a little bit about that as it relates to the forage base in these perch. So when we attack perch is the first one, just like tulipy fishing is you want to catch your first, first one. And you want to gag that fish or sometimes they do it themselves. And I know it's gross for some people, but this is the... This is the truth. It's how you learn. Figure out what the, it's how you learn. Yeah. And, and you know, that's, that's exactly how you do it. So you're going to find they're eating scuds, they're eating shrimp or they're eating mayfly larva. And there's, there's four or five different things that the perch will be keying in on. And those will change throughout the year, but it's always some type of bug. And once you figure out, and a lot of times, let's say you're catching perch and they're on the gravel, but they have mayfly larva in them. It's like, okay, they're, they're utilizing this piece of structure here more for, you know, maybe resting or that neutral attitude type stuff. And they're feeding. You can look and go, well, that, that lives in the mud and we're nowhere near the mud or we're, you know, 600 yards away from the mud. So it tells you where they're eating. And that's the main thing. Figure out, catch that first one, figure out what they're eating and perch are very, very predictable. That's what makes them so susceptible with then just key in on those areas once you figure out, like, if they're eating stone, stone bugs, thing like that, you know the difference. You have to know the difference of what bugs live in rock, what bugs live in, in the mud. And from there, you start making your decisions. And very, very rarely do the perch not follow suit with that, with that mentality there, that, that process. This episode of the JMO Podcast is brought to you by the CS1 suit from Cold Snap. This jacket and bib combination is good for all seasons. The jacket featuring the full event lamination, 100% waterproof shell with waterproof YKK zippers, fleece-lined hand-warm pockets on the chest, magnetic closures on the pockets, hideaway D-rings for accessories, especially like your Cold Snap toothpick. Zip out the inner liner featuring Primaloft 900 gold insulation, HydroFloat technology. Wear this cold snap logoed performance liner as a separate jacket on the ice. Or you can just wear it around town as nice as it is. The bibs matching the jacket system. We're talking the lamination, the waterproof, the zippers, fleece lined, warming pockets on the chest, magnetic closures on all the high use pockets, and the hideaway D-rings for all your accessories again. Zip out the inner liner pants featuring the Primaloft 900 gold insulation, HydroFlow technology, removable knee pads. You can take them out, replace them whenever they're worn, or just take them out when you're wearing it in the summer. Because in the summer, in the boat, you can wear this shell as your highest performance rain gear. Wear the entire system in the ice season or as layers and mix and match the components to fit whatever the weather conditions are. The gloves, cold snap performance gear hoodies, event soft shell jackets, and vests. All of that and more details can be found at coldsnapoutdoors.com. That link is in the description of this podcast or through other pro staff partners. This is the season for hunting and fishing opportunities in the state of North Dakota. 
if you hunt big game here, remember to do your part in protecting the herd. And that means knowing and following the regulations regarding chronic wasting disease here in the state of North Dakota, specifically the carcass disposal requirements. Any game carcass waste that is transported outside the hunting unit where the animal is harvested must be disposed of via a landfill or waste management provider. If you're hunting big game in North Dakota, it is your personal responsibility to educate yourself on these regulations and this information. Luckily for you, it's very simple. Just head down to the description of this podcast and click on the link that is gf.nd.gov cwd. That's where you're going to get the information on the regulations and all information regarding chronic wasting disease in the state of North Dakota. This podcast is brought to you by Northland Fishing Tackle. Northland is a brand you can trust. Since the beginning, they've been creating innovative lure designs made of high-quality components. Most importantly, when you buy fishing tackle that says Northland on the package, you can rest assured it is designed for one thing and one thing only, and that is catching fish. To check out more of what they got, head to their website, northlandtackle.com. That link is in the description of this podcast. And do you feel like, I mean, as far as presentations, maybe we dig into that a little bit. Presentations that always gets us into like setups and some of that sort of gear details. But like, like how do you sort of have that conversation with the Mille Lacs perch around like matching the hatch with your presentations um, versus, uh, you know, when you decide to maybe stand out and do something a little bit different? Like what, tell me like the spectrum of presentations that, you know, you know as far as your recommendations that we all got to, we should all be thinking about. So just perch in general, what I found um, really effective and really helpful was, you talk about a lot of guys talk about jigging high for perch or just jigging high in general. And we got to remember fish can see in front of them and up and, or at least walleye and perch, right? So they can't see behind them. So when they're coming towards something, their line of sight, they're not going to be able to see it if it's six inches off the bottom. So a lot of times I'm jigging high and whatever school comes in, I'm counting those fish and going, there we go. There's a sizable population here. This is this is where we need to be. And you start making those those assumptions on a gauging the school size and then getting to know that area. Like what was it two years ago when we first started finding these perch? We were down in the gravel areas, and I'm seeing these schools on forward facing sonar. Man, that the only way to describe them was by lit the time they spent on the screen moving by if that makes any sense like if you're standing on the shoreline and minnows are swimming by in a school these per these schools were about seven to ten minutes long and <laughs> 50 to yeah exactly i mean that shows you how huge it is like minutes long and 30 to 50 feet wide that that that's what i would consider a biomass like but so that's what you're looking for out there. You're looking for these huge schools. And once you find out where they're keying in on, it's it's awesome. Now for spoons, jigging high and right running back to jigging high is we're finding because of this, this teaching process we're going through with ice fishing. You know, if, if you don't like vertical jigging, you probably shouldn't like ice fishing. But what we're finding is really zappy colors, even on clear bodies of water, are bringing these schools in and before with just regular 2d sonar 
when you're in 30 feet of water, 20 feet of water, 15 feet of water, your cone is no more than, you know, eight, 10 feet wide. And that's eight, 10 feet around your lure. So you're only seeing, you know, that most six, eight feet from your lure out. Um, and you're jigging high. And a lot of these fish don't get within 15 feet of your lure. So you have no idea they were there with 2D. Now with forward-facing sonar, I can make that adjustment in size and in color now knowing that those fish are there. Before, I wouldn't have known. I would have moved. I wouldn't have thought there were fish there when when the truth is is that, you know, that go-to buckshot you may have on, they may not have wanted that color today by just switching over to like a super glow chartreuse or something like that, brought those fish in another 10 feet to where you can see them. But the, the zappy colors is definitely a trigger for bringing fish in. And if they're in that aggressive feed mode, we're catching fish. You're catching, catching perch on colors that would make people laugh, you know, bright glow blue, bright chartreuse and all these, and with rattles and probably the, the loudest zappiest spoon you can get. And they're coming up and smacking them. And they're also bringing these fish in and getting you a population assessment and so that was the one thing that, that we kind of rounded out on was, hey, everything tells us that we should not be using these loud, zappy lures, but the fish are really liking them, especially perch. And I don't know if that's, you know, you look at perch, they share a little bit with bluegills and this and that, and they have that same mentality where they're like, hey, I'm not afraid of something that's this bright. I'll eat it, you know, I don't know. You know, correct me if I'm wrong here. I'm just interpreting this as like, you know, if you're, if you're on the wrong fish, they won't act like that. Like, like if you, if you're on the wrong fish, it won't be as big of a school. They won't be competing as hard and you will be reduced to whatever your confidence is in ultra finesse. But if you know what, if you know, you know, this type of information from Brad Hawthorne, like when you know, his personal experience tells you that when you're on the right fish, you're housing them on crazy colors and rattles and it's creating the bite and it's, or it's contributing to the bite and your success. Like just keep searching for that. Like, I, I think that that, you know, keeping it moving and grooving and having that expectation that like, that's really what you're searching for. Don't just stop on the very first school of fish that you find and then spend the whole day grinding them. If, uh, you know, if yeah. it ain't right like that, that's where my mind goes when I'm listening to this because yeah, Malax is, there's so much like ultra finesse conversation that happens about Malax with that clear water, but that doesn't mean that it can't also, they can't also like good colors and cadence and action and some rattles but don't tie it on with 20 pound, you know, mono and, uh, 15, you know, and 15 pound high <laughs> yeah. biz, you know what I mean? Like, like, so yeah, like there's gotta be a balance to that conversation, but I love, like you said, it's like, it, it it's not crazy to imagine the casual, you know, sort of outsider thinking that you can't use that stuff on Malax. So it's a great point that you can, you just got to use it right with the right expectations. So anyways, yeah, any more on that conversation? I just, I like it. I think that's very educational. It so, so that's that clear water thing. And I got stuck into that too. I'm not, a, I'm not above this whole, you know, I, admitting when you're wrong thing, when Malax first started to clear up, we saw the trend where just to catch, you know, 50, 60 fish a day, we're using four pound test and, you know, things were on, on that extreme spectrum. And now to have our populations back going, holy cow, we're digging out lures that you wouldn't even, you'd use them on Lake of the Woods and Red Lake because they're so loud and so zappy and going, well, why, why are they, 
eating these? What's what's why why is this correlation back? And it's the aggression of the fish. You're dealing with a school of fish, like you say, is either on or off. It's and the the hard part is not is figuring out what lure that is and what'll handicap you extreme like if if you want to handicap yourself as a perch angler go into that fight with finesse approach if you're gonna if you go into that thinking hey clear water we need to slow down we need to grind you just set yourself up potentially for failure on these fish because perch are either eating or they're not just like any other fish and it's you're responsible ultimately what i tell people on a guide trips is is you're responsible, well, not a trip, I'm responsible for it, but your own success for fishing. And if you go out there with the mindset of clear body water, I'm only fishing three-pound test, and I'm going to use, you know, vertical bluegill jigs to target these perch because that's what I assume is going on. And then a week later, you find out that I'm bonking 50 a day on three-eighths-ounce spoons and zappy super glow colors. You're going to shake your head and not believe it. Right, But that's, right. The, that's, that's the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Setting that expectation. It's true. Like, yeah, it's like the, it's God, there's gotta be a balance. Like, yeah, like there's finesse stuff. Like we're, we're using longer, maybe fluorocarbon leaders. And maybe you can go into that too. Some, maybe some gear recommendations as far as like, you know, just like, what are some of your standbys as far as like uh, the most universal setup? Um, or when, when do you get really specific from presentation to presentation with your setup? Maybe your rod choice action, um, has, might have to do with your cadence, uh, or your line selection. What are some of the, what are just some of those things going into this season that you're starting to pay attention to, um, you know, uh, as far as, you know, your own arsenal. I'm running four pound test on everything for walleye and perch. And that, when I got away from running, you know, two or three different line sizes and that's exclusively fluorocarbon. I'm, I, I don't see, there's no need for me to run braid on Mille Lacs. There's no mono maybe on like a set line or something, but for all intents and purposes, even on set lines, we're using fluorocarbon and all these, set, all these, or all these, these rods, perch, walleye all have, the one common denominator is line size and then swivel. It doesn't matter if it's a set line, if it's a jigging rod, if it's a still rod, whatever. We're still putting a swivel on there. And there's a direct correlation that I've seen with my customers over the last, even through seminars. I have, I've had one slide in every one of my seminars for the last decade, and it's put that dang swivel on there and you'll catch more fish. And that is part of the setup that I don't want to leave out there. If there's one thing guys take, even if they do, oh, they don't want to use four pound tests. They're going to stick with, stick with their six pound. Please put a swivel on there. You'll catch more fish. So, and that is high quality fluorocarbon line. There's a ton of them out there. Just use a high quality, really, really nice, supple fluorocarbon line. And that is more so going to give you more action with the lure. And, and guys will, would argue with me to say, Hey, four pounds too light for walleye. When you see the difference on an underwater camera, the difference in your spoon action going from six pound to four pound test, it will floor you. It will amaze you. There's an extreme difference of a large percentage of how, how much more active your lure is. And people don't think down that wormhole. They think, Oh, well, I'm going to lose the fish is the first thing everyone thinks. They, they give no credit to what that heavy line is, how, how much it's dampening the action of that spoon. 
And by simply going down to that four pound test, you're waking that spoon up and actually making it do what the manufacturer designed it to do. Um, and then kicking off into reels is I'm using a basically a 500 to 1000 size reel. And for the walleye setups, the rods are medium fast. It's, I use the precision power from tuned up and then the precision for my perch. So my, my setups are real simple, precision power, precision, four pound test, swivel 18 inches above it. And then when we start out the day attacking perch, I have, if I got six guys out there, I'll have an aggressive lure and I'll put the two most capable anglers I feel of the day. I'll, I'll start them out with aggressive lures and then everyone else I'll have from basically neutral lures all the way down to a set line. And we'll figure out what the fish want that day and, and start going forward with it. But I know a lot of guys in the winter, they have a ton of different setups. I basically have three. I have my set line rods. I have my perch rods and I have my walleye rods and the line is the same on, on pretty much all of them. How do you utilize your set line? Like what do you usually put down there and are you using it in conjunction with your jig rods? Is it right next to you all the time or is it remotely trying to find fish on its own? Talk to me about that. So if once we've located fish and, and let's say, Hey, we've got, we're all over the board, like everything's working. What I'll do is if we have an, everything is working across the board is I will start putting out those tip downs and my setup for tip downs or dead stick rods is it's a Vulcan rod, which is just a fiberglass rod. I go to six pound fluorocarbon on that just because holes freeze over. There's, there's more abrasion involved. I feel with the set line rod getting frozen in and basically it's job is to set the hook and keep the fish pinned. And uh, if it was just me fishing my set lines, I would have four pound on those as well, but some of my customers, and this isn't a rip on, but some of them think they're Bill Dance when they go up to that set line and just they hammer <laughs> it. They just hammer it, and I'm like, oh man, you know? Yeah, like, oh, yeah, no. yeah. That's <laughs> uh, funny, but so true. It's so true, right? Like you see the fish pinned, and you're like, tink, and you're like, oh, dude. And then it's that's like, hey man, that was only uh, six pound, and they're like, six pound. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, dude. yeah. Man. That's the reason you got the bite in the first place, but. The, the main thing with that is even below that swivel, I'm just using whatever the main line is, whether that's four or six pound uh, fluorocarbon. So it's my set line setup. The only thing changes from inside to outside is rod length. Um, I will outside. I'm running a 38 to 42 inside. I'm running a, about a 32 on my dead stick, but again, hindering yourself with, with the mentality of clear water, let the fish tell you that you need to go finesse. Don't assume that. If you go into every mindset attacking perch on, on Mille Lacs, start out aggressive. And if you have a group of guys have one set line, you'll, you'll figure out the metric really, really quick on what's going on that day. And is it always just, you know, is it a, is it a bear hook uh, and a minnow and a split shot? Um, or are you utilizing lures on your set lines as well? I, I am. So, for perch and walleye in particular on Mille Lacs, I really like the uh, the forage minnow jig, not the spoon, the forage minnow jig. Because that jig, it's heavy enough to keep the minnow pinned. I can run any size minnow on that from a one to a three and a half inch minnow. And if fishing is, is pretty neutral, if you're running into one of those days, I can hook a full minnow on that thing 
lay it on the bottom. And that right there, I shouldn't even have said that, but that, that really on some days when you're talking only 15, 20 fish, some days that setup is the reason why we got 15, 20 fish and everyone else got zilch like that. That little finesse approach right there is when you're making something so easy and so um, instinctual for them to eat that they can't pass it up. And it now fast forward, if they're passing that presentation by, you need to move. You need to find different fish with a better attitude. <laughs> like yeah. that's, that's all that goes. My set line approach is that and standard number six hook, plain hook, red, green, blue. Um, I like Gamagatsu for hooks. Like they've never really done me wrong. And then a three sixteenths to quarter ounce weight above that. And then swivel, man, that's, that's about it. Those two approaches every once in a while, when we're seeing that where they like that full spoon with a full minnow, we'll go to that. So like, you know, rattle spoon, buckshot where the minnows uh, swinging his tail and he's activating some rattles and things. But we don't usually move away from the plain hook or the forage minnow jig too much. Yeah, dude. Dude, we're doing like really good on time here. And I'm just like, I just, I love it. We're identifying that, uh, you know, it, it, there's there's some cool stuff happening on Mille Lacs right now with the perch. And, a, you know, just a, a, an overview of the lake, you know, just some of the areas to be looking into. Uh, you know, anybody that has history out there, you know, hopefully they can go out there on some memories or at least close to it and, and have, you know, and start seeing what Malax is producing as far as nice perch. Uh, but also the rhyme and reason to it, like like how you go out and attack it, you know, your progression as far as aggressive versus finesse tactics, the setups that go along with it. And then when you need to just go find new fish like that. That's that's really all the stuff that I just love hearing and talking about and stuff that I wanted to cover. So any other details, you know, we we can definitely dive into something for a few more minutes here if you want to. Um, but I just I just love it, man. Let's how about this? How about the walleye? Like there's there's yeah, we haven't even talked about the walleye yet, dude. Yeah, let's yeah, it is yeah. super funny. Like you can tell we're a couple of perch heads from back oh, in the day, dude. you know. Like, yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not saying I love that it's win- about to be winter, but I haven't caught perch in a while. So this I do I do get into this and love it. So the so the the awesome part about perch, I was just my I was smiling ear to ear last year on this because you're bonking perch and then whammo guys like this one's bigger it's like made you forget about the walleyes that come through eating the exact same thing and here's the reason for my limited amount of setups the walleye and perch on the lax eat the same damn thing yeah like you really don't have to change too much they eat the same things so you're in a sense you're out there catching perch and walleye on the same lures and you don't have to change and that is why malax is so popular because you can literally be catching jumbos and catch a walleye of a lifetime on the same spot. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, yeah, you don't have to overthink a lot of these things. You just got to get get in that groove, have confidence. You know, if any portion of this conversation, like if you just, you know, if it just helps you with, you know, some of your decision-making going into it, maybe, you know, you, you, you listen to this, you learn a couple of things, that's all it takes, man. And then now it's just like you just got to get out there and do it. Now we just need some ice 
so that we can get out and make it happen, man. But um, and that's that's right around the corner, dude. But yeah, dude. Any you got like a like a like a two minute closer on on a walleye update, just so that we can give them a little bit of love. Like any anything um, along the lines of how how Malax uh, fished this summer as far as the walleyes and what you might anticipate for maybe some of the year classes or what might be happening walleye related. So Malax walleyes are super super popular right now. I mean, there's guys there's guys still out there right now. They're not putting their boats away because it's so good. And we saw that jig and minnow bite this fall and typically a good fall bite means a good winter bite. That jig and minnow bite for the last month out there has been off the hook. I mean, there's, you know, when I start seeing plates from North Dakota at the accesses, when I'm leaving in the morning, I'm like, you know, the bite's good. And what I'm seeing out there is, Basically, when we see this biomass of fish come in following the tulabees for the spawn in the fall, which happened already, like it's going on kind of right now, it is amazing to see the number of walleyes in, in the lake. But I would encourage anyone that is going to come to Mille Lacs this year and here's this podcast, don't forget about the walleyes, man, because... When that sun starts to go down, forget about those perch fish. If you're done thinking about perch fish right around 3 o'clock and start looking at what's around you to start tackling for walleye grounds, dude, because those those walleyes are not going to be very, very far behind those perch, and they're going to be really close. Yeah. Yeah, dude, I love it. I think it's great. I think it's great. You know, Mille Lacs is kind of it's, – it's always in its own – you know, it's kind of always in its own stage of what, you know, but I mean, it's a great fishery. We're never going to talk about anything going on on Mille Lacs other than the success of it. But like what's going on right now, they, we're entering the potential of, you know, another one of these heydays, you know, heydays that's going to create traditions and families are going to go ice fishing in Mille Lacs now for the next handful of years because it's, a you know, the potential for a perch. Uh, boom going on or at least you know just the you know just just showcasing that Mille Lacs can put out phenomenal perch fishing opportunities and then we're just once you're there I mean we're obviously going to try to catch these nice walleyes that are out there it's like you know this is what people think about when they're making decisions this time of year of like where are we going to go this year where are we going to plan our one trip you know like we we just you you know Mille Lacs is at in one of those stages right now where it should be high on a lot of people's lists, um, if it wasn't already, right? But it's like now, if you're an ice fishing destination type of uh, family, um, you know, Mille Lacs is just, it's offering. We're coming into one of these seasons where, or an era potentially, where it really just, it's going to offer everything that it can. So I love it, man. I love the, I love it. I love what we're covering here. And this is everything I wanted to, just wanted to, get one going here early uh, uh, in the season with you, Brad, because more than likely, if things are just happening, we'll probably have to do another like a mid-season one. I, I It just, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. But uh, but yeah, dude, I really appreciate the time, man. If, unless something else pops into your head, dude, we, you know, we, we can cover whatever. Otherwise, we're so good on time. We've hit all these great topics that I was looking for. I get a lot from these conversations, and uh, I appreciate that. So if if nothing else, uh, promote yourself. Where can people reach out if they have questions or want to inquire about your business or anything like that? Uh, you can hit me at MillacksLakeGuide.com um, or traditional. You fire me a text or give me a call at 651 271 
8,600. And then if you guys, you know, if you're looking for a fish house rental on, on Mille Lacs, be sure to check out Ice Camp Outfitters. It's a top-notch destination for fish house rentals on Mille Lacs. And I, you know what, I, I hope to see you this winter. And, dude, thanks for having me on. I really, yeah. I really, true. this is my favorite podcast. And like, like I said before, when I'm behind the windshield, this is all I'm listening to, man. I love it. Dude, I appreciate that a ton, dude. Honestly, I mean, I've been paying attention to the stuff you guys are doing out there for a long time. I think, you know, this is one thing that um, anybody that knows me personally has heard me say this. Or if anybody in the wild, you know, anybody that meets me on the street and asks me these types of questions about, like, you know, the industry and the influence, the learning. Malax is a body of water that I have fished the least that I have taken the most from to go anywhere else to fish both open water and ice fishing. Uh, and you know, it's guys like you that teach me this stuff that I'm able to take other places. And, and I've taken a lot from a lot of places and it's, and, and sometimes it's the individuals, but I feel like, you know, the guys like you that are on the water, on you know, a place like Malax that are really at the tip of the spear as far as what's going on there. You've got your finger on the pulse over there. You're who I want to hear from. But I can look back on my time in the industry going on 10 years, and I can honestly say Malax is one of the most influential bodies of water for me that I have fished the absolute least. And, uh, you know, I feel like that says a lot. I feel like when I do a podcast like this, People don't even actually have to be thinking about fishing Malax. They're gonna, they should be getting a lot out of it, as I do. Um, so that would be my props, a thousand percent, man. So I appreciate it, Brad. But that's it, dude. We can sign it off, man. That's it, and I appreciate it a ton, Brad. Hey, call me when you need me, Taylor. I appreciate the opportunity, man. All right, we'll talk to you.